0: deep focus my name's quaid and i'm here with my co-host nick how you doing today man i am doing well perfect well we've had a shorter wait between this episode and the last one than beforehand and we're going over uh, a show it was your idea do you want to take it from there
1: yeah queen's gambit and actually i think that's why it took so long was because uh you know it's what six and a half hours yeah it's like
0: three four movies rolled into one so so we we just binged that uh
1: you know this week and we decided to uh go for it and
0: yeah uh how would you like it I enjoyed it uh it, I was pleasantly surprised I watched it over the course of about 2 days I believe mm-hmm. um stayed up late one night uh I really liked it you know I was expecting not to not like it the the thing is there's yeah. a movie called uh I was at I did like a semester of chess club when I was younger and I really enjoyed it. But there was also a movie recently called Pawn Sacrifice with what's okay. his name Toby Maguire uh playing Bobby Fischer and okay. I always really liked that movie even though maybe it wasn't the best movie. Sure. Um, so I've always been interested in watching like how you can make chess interesting. Um Yeah,
1: yeah. It was actually interesting they they made it more about the uh interactions between the people and they didn't even like bother trying to hold the audience's hand with uh like the actual maneuvers and such yeah you know which i thought was the right decision
0: yeah it does seem um, to be the common decision because it was similar to that in the other movie i've seen there was sometimes though where they yeah. did like focus in on the, the actual game and made you know made some like stylistic effects with the camera and so on sure, to make yeah. it interesting
1: yeah um I like the, I like the, what was it? The Ohio State montage. Sure. Uh, where it was her and Benny and they were like taking out all the other competition in a pretty fun montage where it was like, you know, they, they were obviously vying for each other. Um, but no, yeah, this, like this show is like
0: full of that, full of good montages. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but anyways, I guess for those that don't know Queen's Gambit is a Netflix original series that really that just got made um it's a one-off mini series and it is about um a young girl who is a chess prodigy essentially uh in 1950s Kentucky and how she goes on to beat the masters of the world the russian masters so that's yep. what we watched and um, what was the name what was her actual name cuz i know that it's Anya uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth uh, that's right Elizabeth
1: Harmon that yep, that's right. Um, but I actually want to talk about the whole like mini series thing really quick because uh, I haven't seen Chernobyl yet, but that's another one that I've been told to watch. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think by you and a couple other people. But um, I like this idea of the mini series kind of um, uh, blowing up a little more because, you know, I think one of my biggest criticisms of TV is that so much uh, good TV essentially dies a slow death rather yeah. than ending you know and i i very much appreciate this idea of you know starting something and finishing it and you know having this concrete ending and saying something profound with it instead of uh you know pulling a californication right where it's like <laughs> you know there's a c- clear ending to it you know he drives off into the sunset and then like you know, the the plot from the first season uh, has wrapped up, you know, we're in season five and the whole story has come to a close. And then like you're on a plane with a rapper in the next episode. And it's like, what is going on? Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and I, I've always been I've always been a big proponent of end it when it ends. And if it's popular. Make a new one, you know, make another one. Um, I would I much agree. rather have a sequel than. uh. You know have something die a slow and painful death as it slowly becomes um awful well
0: i I think that's a good indicator of some of the better television that's been happening over this last decade and a half is a lot of it has had a solid ending you know generally what i've spotted is it's generally around five seasons Generally, if something's yep. good, it ends about at that end of the fifth season, you know, Breaking Bad. Yeah, for
1: I would say like up to five. I've seen a lot of good things that were like one or two seasons. Oh, yeah, that's sometimes true. three. But like, you know, five is where you're kind of getting to that uh, maximum. <laughs> you know, I you guess know, I've I've seen a few shows where they've gone over and it was fine. But
0: yeah, I mean, um, Doing a mini series is great just from what you were just saying, like you can just do a sequel, right? Cause there's great shows as well that are fantastic and then end up getting canceled. And that's like the other side of the coin, you know, right. I, you know, Amazon did a show recently called um, Patriot and it was a really good show, but it's only two seasons cause it got canceled, even though it left uh, with like, there was going to be more, right, but I right. could easily see that show being done as, um, a miniseries that just has a sequel to its miniseries you right. know um for example the young pope did this this was a great hbo show that recently came out the first season was a miniseries it was very yeah. popular and they just did a sequel called the new pope um, yeah, that's great and they're all self-contained and it works out and yet it still sort of links in the way that you would think of seasons linking with their contained stories right so i agree uh, because there's also times to take like house of cards where the main guy behind it quits and frankly it just went off a cliff you know right um and like what you said with californication it's just being you know wrung out for money um right yeah it's so. it's so um i mean like uh i i think
1: it's a different mentality too because back then when uh you know tv was I, i'd say more exclusive you know what the shows that you had to choose from were more uh finite sure you know? um there was less a uh, competition for the like quality's sake it was more about uh meeting certain focus group uh like uh requirements right where you sure. go in and you see what this type of people like and then you target it for them by putting it at that specific time in this area and then you just like hit all the notes that they like and then you just keep it going for as long as you can mm-hmm. you know and Honestly, I think, I think reality TV is what kind of screwed that over because they were able to do it much more, uh, what, like cheaply. Oh yeah. Big time. Right. Um, and they just, they just annihilated that market. And, uh, now that we're back to streaming, I think that, uh, honestly quality's uh, that's the one thing that I really enjoy about, uh, uh, streaming, even though, you know, they are murdering the movie theaters right in front of us. Uh, <laughs> not to say the movie theaters weren't drowning beforehand, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but really quality's this king. is what, uh, you know, yeah. Qual- quality's king here, you know, like everyone has everything to choose
0: from. So it's yeah, really it's, only the stuff that's really good. That's going to get attention. It's important to point out as well. What we're talking about is essentially, I guess what we could call a linear story. You know, there are some great, uh, series that go on for seasons and seasons that are episodic you know yes like, that are like comedy yeah. every episode is sort of self-contained maybe honestly like on family the guy
1: futurama simpsons sure like almost all it, right? the animated comedy right yeah like
0: the office for example is episodic and i think that's yeah. why it was able to go for as long as it did and even when michael scott left it wasn't as great but it was still pretty good yeah uh, so
1: um and that's definitely like i think comedy still works in the old old fashion but really like when you when you're doing something with drama, I think it's important because I I honestly think the uh, story arc is a lot more important for uh, drama. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas in, uh, in comedy, I think I feel like you're in it a lot more for the, uh, moment to moment interactions. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, as far as drama goes, I I've always felt that like making sure that your story does have an ending and that you're actually trying to say something, is one of the most important things you can do. And that's why I really love the idea of a mini-series. And that's honestly what drew me to this, because I got the recommendation for this uh show. Uh and I went and looked at it. And I really uh, actually the th- first thing that drew me to it was the music. Okay. Um but uh you know, I was just watching the uh little Netflix pre uh preview thing. Okay. And uh no, it looked it looked uh, as far as I could tell, like cinematography looked great. The editing looked great. The acting looked great. The music looked great. And I'm like, okay, well, as long as they don't royally screw something up, yeah. you know, this is poised to be a great show. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I think. Uh, yeah, I, w- I was worried. I was worried as well when I first started watching it. I was, you know, there's the obvious. Um, the obvious. The obvious. Uh, I guess, like, red fa- flag that this could be a highly political movie. Sure. You know, something something that's propaganda, right? Not... Uh,
0: there uh, you go again. There you go. I'm tarnishing <laughs> my, my medium of choice. Not joking. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you're right. And I definitely went into it thinking like this. I'm either going to really like this or it's going to infuriate me. Um, yeah. But after watching it, uh, it's important to note the people behind it uh scott frank directed every single episode i believe he produced it as well scott okay. frank made a walk among the tombstones which is a Liam neeson action oh, movie yeah okay i love Liam neeson action movies they are among <laughs> my favorite action movies
1: um
0: he also made a movie called the lookout it looks like it has uh chosen gordon levitt in it and godless which was recently i believe a netflix television show that okay. i uh, haven't watched so um, he was more
1: into action and stuff before this
0: Apparently, exactly. by the look of it, yeah, by the look of it. And he was also a writer mostly. So, if we look at what he wrote, he wrote the Logan movie recently, Minority Report, hmm. The Wolverine. Oh, he wrote Minority Report? That's, yeah, that's cool. Marley and me, if you ever remember that. I wouldn't saw that for Christmas one year. Uh, <laughs> is
1: Minority Report um, an original screenplay or is that based on something? You know, I
0: bet it's based on something because it's Spielberg. So, let me see here, but. Um, there was a John Cohen as well that wrote, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Maybe you want to Google it, but I will um, save it. (laughs) But an interesting thing as well is the writer, this was based on a teleplay, right? And Mm -hmm. then I think they adapted the teleplay. the The original writer of the teleplay I believe was Walter Tevis. And he wrote the hustler and the color of money and the man who fell to earth, which are like three classic films. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. Yeah, there's some pretty cool talent behind this. As well, of course, you have the main actress. She's been fantastic. Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, mm-hmm. She's been in, like, Glass and Split recently. The New Mutants. She was in Emma this year as well, earlier this year. I really liked that new Emma movie. Yeah. Um, also, if anyone saw Thoroughbloods, uh, that was sort of like an interesting indie movie where she's like some young psychopath killing people. So, okay. she's um, a great young talent. Um, she was
1: fantastic in this. Uh, yeah. And honestly, like such a great, like subject for the camera visually too. I think like her just general, uh, aesthetic and then paired with the, uh, who's the cinematographer actually.
0: I wanted to, yes, I have that pulled up here. Uh, Steve Mesler. So is he- this is, I think his, his, uh, he's only done one movie and otherwise he's shot a lot of, uh television so this is i think his first like mini series that he shot entirely himself wow okay. um he's mostly been a camera department person it looks like for like the last two decades and nice only over this someone who decade.
1: worked his way up through the system yep uh, <laughs> um but uh i really i really love his use of shallow focus it's so beautiful you know and it it that's what i was saying was like fit with her aesthetic really well but um mm like man they they like nailed it every single time like everything that you need to see was right in focus and it just like you have this sharp cut off into the blurriness in the background and it's like it it was it was beautiful to look at in the same way that i think uh like chess was supposed to kind of kind of beautiful in this like vacuum from society sure. you know um which I, I loved this idea of i mean it was kind of like a thematic thing where they like separated the um separated their world from the world around them as much as they could, you know, Um, obviously there's a lot of interference, but um, it was like they lived uh, in a different place, you know, not it was, it wasn't like Russia where it was like just a part of their everyday life.
0: Sure. Yeah. They were, you know, a unique community of people. Right. Um, Yeah. It was interesting. You know, the way that this was made almost reminded me of that. Um, Steve Jobs biopic that was made recently. Who was the Danny Boyle? I believe Danny Boyle directed that, and was with Michael Fassbender. And the interesting thing about that biopic is it it's essentially three chapters, and each chapter is one of Steve Jobs' press conferences to introduce a new product. Yeah, and I found this to be similar because even though there was plenty of moments like in her personal life that the show went through, it's really each episode is really surrounding her playing a game or multiple games. And like, that's right, where yeah. a lot of the drama is actually happening. Right. Um, yeah. So I like that. I like that structure. I like alternative structures for biopics. Yeah. Um, because the usual one, and also they, they have six and a half hours here. So like compared to a two to three hour movie that is trying to cram an entire person's life or the important chapter of that person's life. And they have a lot more time to do it. Right. Right. Um, but they, I still like that they went a, a more alternative route and uh, focused more on like the individual games as the chapters in our life.
1: Yeah, um, I you know I really liked the representation of the '60s here. Hmm. You know, um, because I think a lot of like, especially if this movie was highly polit- political, you know, it would have been you know demonized and only the worst parts of it would have been shown. Sure, um, but I, I did like that. You know, it was a very, very uh, objective. I thought, you know, where mm-hmm. like it wasn't really just about the bad parts of the '60s or the good parts of the '60s. You know, like everything was kind of given the way that the way that it should be. You know, um, which I I really appreciated. That made me respect the show a lot.
0: Um, I don't know about you, but uh, no, I liked it. I definitely liked it. I liked how they, uh, yeah, it was just the show that took place in the late fifties and early sixties. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but they really focused in on chess, you know,
1: and like what it was really about with, like, you know, with this, uh, girls demons essentially.
0: Yeah. It was Um, interesting because they even showed, they even, you know, had her interact with sort of like the pop culture of, you know, the late fifties, early sixties in, in the show, she just rejects it entirely. You know, uh, she right. can't get involved. You know, like she her world is chess completely, and it just like this other stuff just sort of freaks her out. And there's interesting towards the end. There, I think the episode before the last, uh, she's sort of having like a binge. She's sort of spiraling downward, and that's the moment yeah. when she actually tries to embrace to some degree the the sort of standard pop culture of the time to actually sort of become a part of the times. Um, Sure. So that was interesting to me.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, um, to the, um, the focus that they had while they were making this and how, how they kind of went really, uh, deep into her own psychology. And, you know, you have this whole idea of, uh, you know, drug addiction from a young age because of the super lax you know <laughs> laws back then surrounding, uh, drugs and alcohol and whatever, you know. Yeah. The uh, era of you.
0: cocaine being in coke.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh but like, you know, they were they were giving these like when she was younger, they were giving these uh kids uh tranquilizers to calm them down.
0: You know mm, at the orphanage, yeah.
1: At the orphanage and and like, you know, the government stepped in at a certain point and said that they can't do that anymore. But you know, she's hooked already and she honestly like
0: it, it what it's through the rest of her life essentially until um yeah dude that scene where she's just like throwing uh she's just taking handfuls down and swallowing them
1: oh yeah that was (laughs) (laughs) i was was like oh god (laughs) but uh but that's what a kid would do right if you hook them on a substance sure uh they wouldn't know any better um but yeah no having this whole like uh having this whole backdrop of and like i love where where it kind of stemmed from where like her mother was almost like this block this block for her mind you know and like in like at the beginning of the show it seems like she needs those tranquilizers to be able to see the the um chessboard and oh and we should probably say at a certain point spoilers i mean you guys should know by now we'll insert something at the end but yeah um but essentially, like how at the end uh she can see the chessboard and she like uh you know they how they represent her uh imagery of the game in her mind, right mm-hmm. um they how she can see it at the end without the drugs, right, yeah, and it kind of takes her um accepting that her her you know biological mother tried to kill her, you know mm-hmm. and like.
0: Murder suicide.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's like a really tough thing for a kid to you know come to terms with. Yeah, and it makes dr- total it makes total sense why she would be hooked on something that would like keep her from thinking of that.
0: Yeah, it's escapist, you know? like the chess, and it, it's presented to her in the in the first episode as sort of an escapist thing combined with a drug. So the drug takes her mind off her mother, and also helps her focus on the board. You know, right? Uh, and this is sort of like how it starts. And as the show goes on, there's an evolution where her battle with the drugs and her battle with chess is also connected to her conquering herself and specifically that demon in particular of her, her mother and the memory of her mother um, trying to kill her. So, yeah. And like,
1: I I did like what they did with the, the um, mother's like lessons to her where at first they, like they sound
0: like they're going to be listened to.
1: Right. Um, But, you know, you have these messages and and like it's almost like the her her experiences through life. These honestly like amazing people that she's meeting, you know, like they're kind of like replacing what her mother said and proving to her that, you know, this insane person that tried to kill her, you know, um, doesn't have the hold on her life. she, She thinks that she does. Sure. You know, and like honestly that was that was a very like beautiful way to um to present all that and and i know that they've they've like there's but this has been done a lot with the you know famous successful person that gets hooked on drugs or whatever but like i, th- I felt like this was very uh different mm-hmm. you know um just because it did stem from something real it was it wasn't just that she couldn't handle her fame or anything because she could honestly handle like almost anything that was thrown at her yeah. Right. Um, but it was really uh, this uh, this thing that would have probably broken most people, you know? Absolutely. Um, but she's able to conquer it through, uh, you know, a life that she's made on this board. Yeah, the people she's um, met,
0: I think. I think that's yeah, really important definitely. as well. It's the idea that, you know, she didn't really have a family and every – chance she had at getting a family was taken away from her you know her the the murder suicide with her mother her adopted mother and father the father abandons them the mother dies of alcoholism um you know she gets in she meets these people she plays chess with them she beats them sometimes they try to enter into her life and help her and they realize she's this addict and this is you know she's got deep-seated issues and they try to help her it doesn't work out they sort of yeah also you know, and then
1: brilliance too, where like you know, she, a lot of the people that are around her like can't keep up, you know, and that's that's another thing that
0: just drives people away from her. Um, yeah, I I definitely think that's part of it. They definitely, it's also on them as well, but also yeah, when that towards the end of the the series, you have that moment, of course, where there's the janitor at her orphanage is the person oh, who yeah. introduces her to chess, and. He becomes sort of like a father figure, a silent father figure through the middle mm-hmm. of the the show because you don't see him anymore. But he's there right. in the first couple episodes and he's reintroduced at the end. And essentially she realizes, I think in that episode, she has her friend from the orphanage come back and help yeah. her and get her back on track and get her off of these drugs and sending her to her final tournament in Russia. But you yeah. also have the realization that this man, you know, he loved her and he was proud of her. And he, she wanted to do him right, and then of course you also right. had the reintroduction of all the men that she had beat, and it had either been you know unfairly uh, sort of abandoned by them, or sort of fairly. And I think in the case right. of the the first one, he it was about the addiction for him right. realizing he couldn't do anything, and he tried to come back to help again. But right, it was right. nice to see that sort of coming back this this idea that's community she's made, this family she's made, and that yeah. being the power to overcome her addiction. Right, to right. take on because that's was presented as a strength of the Russian chess players is that right, they treat that they, themselves as a family and they help right, each other exactly so
1: um I I really like that the Russians were also not demonized in this which you know I was expecting I that too
0: um well it goes but, we we talked about this but it, there's this thing where this the show it could be political it could be ideological but instead it sort of pokes fun at every single attempt for ideology whether right. it's like full on Americanist capitalist propaganda or it's communism or it's any of the, like what you might think of, of 1950s sort of stuff. Um, it sort of, it just sort of like points a finger, it takes a little laugh at it and then it moves past it, you know, it just gets to the real thing.
1: Right. Um, yeah, no,
0: I think, um, I think one of the
1: interesting parts that I I was thinking about, I'm not sure if it's directly, um, talked about in the show but uh I mean, I mean it is to some extent but i wonder if it was uh, uh meant to be an idea that you know we had but uh i really like this whole um concept that for the russians chess was life like they had to be good at it right yeah. if they're and like i think one of the main reasons why uh you know besides her genius obviously but one of the main reasons why she could compete on their level was because it was the same for her. Like she had to be good at this. Yeah. Right. Um, it was everything to her because, you know, the alternative was.
0: Um, Death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, in the elevator, when she initially plays the Russian at that first championship, what is it? Is it in Mexico? I believe. Yeah. Um. Remember, she's learned Russian because she's been preparing for. Oh, this I love they don't that, know scene. that. They're being and so they're all- brutal, too. Yeah. But you know, the the guy she plays, you know, the, the guy she's going to play, there's three Russians. They're all great players. Two of them are talking to the guy she's going to play the grandmaster of the world at this time. Right. And they're sort of poo-pooing her. And, and he's like, no, 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 she's an orphan. Don't underestimate her. She's going to do whatever she needs to do to survive. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, very similar to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah exactly. I and
1: I, I like this idea that, um, you know, even though she is a product of, you know and i would say that like in comparison to russia at the time like 50s america was vastly more silly right and i feel like that's the way that they looked at us especially in that show right yeah um but i i do love that you know this extremely uh gifted russian player was able to kind of like see through that and see what was really going on um yeah. and I, I did like that they really drew a direct line to weaknesses of character to weakness weaknesses in the game, mm-hmm. you know um, where like he is like, there, there's like a massive amount of cons- consistency in like the way that these players talk to and like the ideas that they hold to like how they actually play the game. You yeah. Know? and they they constantly describe uh this guy what, what is his name uh Bolkov or something
0: i can't remember i think but, that's right yeah
1: um or Gor- Gorb i can't remember well the, but, the actor's
0: <laughs> name is uh if i'm pronouncing it right uh Markin Dorok or Dorockinski okay. yeah, yeah just what call a great Dorok actor Insky. too, by the way um, <laughs> yeah he's good
1: <laughs> but uh how how they they call him I mean, even from when she like played him, you know, she was talking about how like bureaucratic he was, how like boring his play was, but, and like how by the book it was, but there was no doubt in his eyes that he was going to lose.
0: Yeah. Um, who was the, who was the chess player, the American champion that she ended up being? Was his uh, that name was Benny. Man? Benny said the same thing. Remember when Benny first initially invited her over to New York to, for him to help her train yeah, and uh, for the, for these matches with the russian grandmaster he said you have to understand they're it, you know you're bored with chess at this point he's he's telling her right and right. they're they don't have the luxury of being bored because they have to do this because of the soviet union they play a workman like chess you know they're going sure. through it in a dutiful kind of way um yeah it, because they have to so right
1: but um but i i liked that you know there are scenes like that in the elevator where you know the the number 2 and 3 guy over there were like um underestimating her and you know he has this bureaucratic outlook on it where he just only cares about what's true you sure. know and yeah no I, I think I think that's what uh that was such an interesting um I would say he's pretty much the antagonist of the show you know where he's he's this uh I mean like the true antagonist is probably also the main character but um, mm-hmm. but in terms of the, ch- the, her chess career, you know, he's yeah. always the, um, the thing she has to overcome and Absolutely, he beats her yeah. twice. Right. And it's just, uh, no, it was, it was, uh, I just, I just thought this was a really good show and I was, I was very surprised that it wasn't political cause I totally thought it was going to be not really, I guess for any reason that the show presented, but just because of. You know how what things you have been going in these days and age.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, going to what you were saying about character flaws. There's also that great match she plays in Mexico yeah. with the young Mexican prodigy, who she t- says, you know, you're the best player I've ever played against. And he, they have this thing in chess tournaments. I didn't know this, where they can adjourn, where essentially if they're going on for like four, oh, or five, yeah, six yeah. hours, they can. That, he was like, actually you know, a Russian pro- prodigy kid, but um, he was. I yeah. thought he was Mexican.
1: Yeah, no, no but he was Russian. He was talking about. uh, Because at the, at the very end, when she's like, you're the best
0: I've ever played, he's he said, wait till you play, uh, you know, the number one
1: Russian guy. Yeah, I know. But um, that doesn't
0: indicate he's Russian. That just means like, yeah, but you're about to play the best guy. So I'm well, only the best. I thought he was played. speaking Russian. No, I'm pretty sure he was Mexican. <laughs> Uh, uh, I don't
1: know. I guess we'd have to go back and look at it, but yeah. Um,
0: but anyways, I liked that because the way she ended up beating him is when they came back after the adjournment, the next day is, you know, the, the night before when they had adjourned, he started asking her about drive in movie theaters. Cause he'd never been right. to one. <laughs> and she began to realize, Oh, you know, he's a little immature and he's got something to learn and I'm going to exploit that tomorrow. And she did, you know, she essentially right. threw him off the game by walking around and doing these right. little things. So it's it was fun, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh,
1: the uh, cinematography was. Uh, I just want to jump over to that really quick. I thought they um didn't overuse movement too, which like I, that's one of my big criticisms of a lot of like TV uh, cinematography these days is that there's a lot of unnecessary movement. You know. Okay. Um, where they were perfectly com- comfortable, like sitting on a close-up for a long time you know and i i really like that especially with um how these kind of looked um i i loved the uh the quote clo- how how they did kind of the close-ups on the face where they you know had this extremely shallow focus i, I want to know like what what the uh technical specs were for the
0: cameras and lenses they were using because yeah, a lot yeah. of those shots on the when they're playing chess, those extreme close-ups were essentially like POVs, you know. Yeah, well, but
1: like how it it, cre- it almost created this like feeling of isolation for me, where like everybody, it, it almost felt like every single person was in their own own head, you know. Yeah, and it, and it used that idea, like you know, when we're in film school, we get the whole spiel about like don't make floating heads, um, <laughs> but that was amazing in this show. Like they took that um, that uh, quote unquote truism about. Uh, what you don't do in cinematography, they did it and did it in a way that was good. And I I love when people, uh, kind of rebel against the system in that way,
0: you know? Yeah. Uh, I think even the, the height of what you're talking about probably as well as her Paris game, you know, when she fails pretty miserably at her Paris game. Yes. Yeah. uh, That really isolates both of them. Uh, it's a great combination of both shooting and editing in that scene as well. Right. Right. The the water glass as well. Yeah.
1: Man, There, there was just a lot of good, uh, craftsmanship in this show like i was um
0: yeah
1: it's a good point um it it was just really really well made um which uh that's not something that i'm used to that much and i I guess netflix is a little different but like especially in tv um you just get a lot of standard you know and because they have to shoot so much and maybe it's because this was a miniseries and like There wasn't as much of a uh, hustle for the future, you know, and they were just trying to make these seven episodes as good as they could. Um, But I don't know. No, it was I I loved what they put forward here. And um, honestly, like everything was every part of this was fantastic. Like, you know, everything from uh, writing all the way down to the music. Right. Yeah. Um, Phenomenal acting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, The uh, I guess like maybe if I did have one criticism about it, it would be that um, I felt like they did something that's kind of common in movies where you're talking about uh, uh, genius, you know, where uh, you kind of just call it genius and you let it sit there and uh, you don't really try to understand it as a writer. You just are like, oh, she just imagine imagines uh, chess pieces on the roof. You know, and yeah, you, you I almost,
0: I did think that too. I was yeah. like, how many times are we gonna see the shadow of the the queen in the ponds? Right, she's looking at the sailing.
1: Yeah, well, and it's like it, it's one of those things where people are afraid to try to understand genius when they're
0: writing. Um I think it's hard as well because probably one of the reasons is is they focus in on the particular instance of the genius. You know, if you're a writer doing right. this, you're like, how the fuck am I gonna understand chess to the level she does? I can't. You know, well, that's the thing so, is like.
1: We, the, the strength that we have as writers is that we have all the time in the world to come up with our conclusions. Right. <laughs> so, so that, that's always what I, uh, what I say, like, um, who is the guy that wrote Shogun? Um, I, I can't remember his name. Could you Google it for me? But sure. this guy, like he, he had no audience.
0: Like, Nick doesn't have a computer in front of him. I don't know if you knew that he's never <laughs> had a computer. In front of him. <laughs> Uh, uh shogun what you gotta tell me what it's uh,
1: It's just called shogun um,
0: Shogun book james clavell
1: i think so yeah
0: okay shogun is a 1970 novel by james yep. clavell yep, yep. okay go ahead
1: so i mean anyway. obviously this guy wasn't a samurai you know but he's writing about these brilliant samurai and um uh he he essentially just dedicated years and years and years to research uh for how to write this book and i think that's really what it comes down to is like are you willing to dedicate um like the amount of time it would take for you who are not a chess genius to understand what this chess genius was going through and thinking about at these times right and Mm -hmm. the the benefit that we have is the time to research it and to really dig deep into um these people and try to figure out, you know, what the hell they're thinking about. Um, but I think that's honestly, I, I don't really, uh, I'm not a huge fan of when people just slap the title of genius on something and call it good enough.
0: Sure. You know, um, they use, you know, and they use these abstractions like her sort of hallucinations to do this. Right. I am a huge fan of an NBC. I think it's one of the best like network television shows. You know, one of the old school networks. Sure. That has come out recently on NBC. And it's Hannibal. It's the one with Mads Mikkelsen playing Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of that show. And it's sort of, you know, maybe campy, you could say, but I love it. And mm-hmm. they have a thing in there where the guy, the detective that's going after Hannibal, is a genius, right? He's some sort of like savant. Sure. He's on the spectrum, and they do a very similar thing where it's like he just sort of like we're going to portray it with like these visual effects, the sort of abstraction that he goes into to find these things. You know, sure, it is a it is a very standard almost trope uh, thing that that people do uh, when trying to deal with uh, you know a gift of nature like that or something. Sure, that they're trying sure. to talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean. I guess it's, it's not our place to come at a writer and say, Hey, like dedicate years of your life to researching the mental going, going zones of, you know, these brilliant Just people. Years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it, you know, if you, if you do put in the work, I, I think that comes through in the final product, sure. you know, um, I on, honestly, I don't really have many criticisms other than that. Um, I agree. It was very well done. It was just very, very well done.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I already sort of brought up my only minor issue. Other than what you said, I was just going to bring up the chess hallucinations. But that kit, that connects with the genius thing you were saying, which is yeah, it's really good in terms of how it does it. I mean, essentially, this is – you could call it a biopic. Yeah. And I – Fictional biopic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look at it and um, – is it fictional? It's based on a true yeah. story, isn't it? It's not – it's complete fiction what the fuck yeah the entire time i thought this was that's insane that completely what <laughs> yeah it isn't a true story but takes inspiration from real life people and events yeah. what the fuck <laughs> i had no clue in this entire time watching it i was like oh cool this happened I yeah. was like assuming like they were taking liberties, but of course, because who wouldn't, but sure, yeah, but I mean, it's it's convincing, right? It's, I'm upset now. <laughs> I don't know why, but I feel upset. <laughs> you feel lied too. <laughs> yeah. There was no, you know, at least Fargo was making fun of it, was making fun of not being true. oh, man. Okay. Well, I mean, it's just drama then. I mean, it's just yeah, it it's sort of but that's interesting then because it feels like a biopic. This is why I brought up the Steve Jobs thing. Yeah. You know, because I was like, this is like a biopic that's like halfway between doing it the standard way and halfway between doing it this sort of like new experimental way that yeah, yeah. Danny Boyle did. But it's not even a biopic. No, I I mean they fargoed me without even fargoed me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but um honestly I, I, I... I didn't know until afterwards. I didn't want to look it up in the middle because I was like, if this is a complete fiction, it's very well done. And I don't want
0: to like um, know yet, you know. Um, Interesting then. Then what you were saying about genius even takes on more of a layer for me then because he's created a fictional genius. You know, he doesn't even have something to. Yeah. To even try to dig into with a real life person.
1: Well, but there are chess prod prod, prod prodigies and such that um you could yeah. honestly I, I would probably look into if I was doing the research to write this um script, I probably would have done research into I mean, I'm sure there was extensive research done into uh chess and like probably especially the original work. Um I actually I I I think the only problems that I had with the representations of genius were, um, you know, representations in the actual film, like visual representations, representations, and then like a couple lines of dialogue here and there, you know? Yeah. Um, so that could very well just be purely only from this film. So if we went and watched the original or read the original, um, uh, what was it? A teleplay? Yeah, it was a teleplay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe it would have been perfect. It makes sense um, that it
0: takes place in the nineteen late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties, considering it was written probably a decade after that. Right, right. Um That's so crazy. Yeah. I still can't get over it. I do I mean, gotta say, I was thinking yeah. while watching this. I would I would think this is a good subject for a short film. Not this, but like I think it would be an interesting and challenging short film to make of of a chess game. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'd be cool
1: um i th- that that would be cool actually but um i, I think uh what what kind of tipped me off that it maybe wasn't uh uh based on a real person while I was watching it um one they didn't say true story so they didn't try to like uh fuck with this or anything but uh I was like this is like so uh like the story itself is very very romantic, you know like this idea of this girl who's um has this massive trauma that she has to overcome through mastery of a game. You know, um, I feel like usually life is a little more boring than that. Um, that's true. Uh, so that that's kind of maybe what uh, tipped off my skepticism meter. But honestly, like I, I think that I like the fact that it's fiction more than if it was based on a real person. Um, just because, that means that the writer of this truly understands every little component of what he's putting down and why sure. he's showing these things to us, you know? Um, and I, I, this is something that I've noticed with a lot of uh, nonfiction is that um, it's a lot of the times they kind of just are more event driven and they just really focus in on these uh, uh non-personal moments and, they try to like throw personal stuff into there and they embellish and like it it kind of it feels a lot of it feels a little random
0: yeah i completely know what you mean yeah whereas this they try to link things together that might feel a little hollow to try to link and
1: yeah exactly whereas this felt extremely succinct like you
0: know every single point had a purpose you know that's crazy because as i was watching it i thinking i was thinking it was a real story and i was like they have to be embellishing i was like i don't mind that they're embellishing but <laughs> yeah they're making things so succinct and so like they so line up perfectly that they're essentially they're being true to the heart of what actually happened but there's no way it was actually like this right um, but now of course no wonder it's 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 fiction yeah so um so anyways uh you want to go on the music yeah yeah let's talk
1: about the music for a bit um who who wrote it? What was his name?
0: Yeah, so let's see. I have it right here. Carlos Rafael Rivera. Um this seems to be one of his first things. He composed a walk on the tombstone, so he's obviously a friend of the director. Mm-hmm. And Godless, which was the other mini series for Netflix that the director did that I haven't okay. seen about uh cowgirls. Okay, cool. Uh, so it seems like he just kind of works with him. Yeah? Um that's awesome.
1: He, he did a great job with this. I, I love this whole uh, kind of thing where he either has like a piano arpeggiation or like a, you know, some sort of a, uh, uh, or with the strings. Right. And he really just focuses on creating emotion by changing the uh, uh, chord progression underneath those, you know, and I I love that it actually reminds me a lot of how um, Hans Zimmer writes um but man something about something about how uh like the i don't know like how the the music that was chosen or i mean written versus kind of like how the cinematography was um kind of played out throughout this uh whole series i i really loved the pairing of the two and i think that they worked extremely well together um you know who also kind of rem- reminds me of is philip glass where it kind of takes these like really simple um arpeggiations and tries to create intense emotion through uh juxtaposition in between the chords right okay and like for
0: some reason uh, that truman show i, I can't what Sorry, truman I- show uh, Phil he, Glass, the Truman show.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. He's done, a, he's done a bunch. But um yeah, no, just something about maybe, maybe it was like the piano with the shallow focus. I don't, I don't know. Like something about those two things just created uh um an atmosphere that was very, very uh unique to this film. Um what did it remind me of a little bit? Uh have you seen Chocolate? With Johnny Depp?
0: No, I haven't. It's on my list, though.
1: Yeah, no, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. But, um, no, I, I think that, like, there wasn't a lot else that felt like this, you know, especially in terms of TV. Yeah. And I think maybe these, like, this idea of, like, the floating heads, extreme shallow focus, right? Like, where like what their head was like completely sharp and then everything else was as blurry as it could possibly be. Right. So they were probably on like a 1.8 and had like a focal depth of, you know, um, I guess that's the same thing, but um, you know, it was like really just hugging that focal length was really just like hugging their head, you know? So like everything behind it or in front of it was completely out of focus. And it created this, um, this really isolated atmosphere and I, f- I felt like the music was doing that as well um i don't know it was just it was just a cool pairing i don't know what you thought about it but
0: um no i certainly enjoyed it um but after that intro should we go ahead and just play the song do you want to enter the song so sh- sure the yeah this get one a taste?
1: is uh what is it called uh training with benny this this is kind of like the uh when she's gaining confidence over herself, and you know, Benny's teaching her how to beat the Russians in his place in New York. Cool. Um, All right. But yeah, yeah, well, enjoy the song.
0: Yeah, we'll be right back. All right. That was yeah. great. Me not being music literate how I would describe it mm. is it feels like an updated version of a score from a best picture winner in the 90s.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but so arpeggiations are kind of where like you have a pattern that repeats itself. Okay. Um in the like melodic line and then basically like uh you know, instead of uh instead of having that be the part that changes, you're essentially changes the changing the undercurrent to give that arpeggiation a different flavor um in each part or, or like kind of like in each uh how do I describe this like a section? You okay. know. Um but um or you could call it a repetition, I guess, but uh yeah. Um yeah, no, I think it, I don't know. I I, I love how, um, I, I actually love how that one ends with how it kind of like peters out into kind of because I think that's like when she's playing everyone and she keeps taking their money and then you know at the end of the night, uh she's beat them so many times that he just says no more. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know everyone's tired and like it's late and uh just kind of like lulls out and then I don't know. I, I like that he has, um he has emotional awareness of the moment in the scene and he can translate that into sound, you know, that's, that's always been the mark of a great composer to me. Um, because, you know, obviously there's like complexity in the music and, you know, uh, you have these people that are, uh, you know, like John Williams that are, uh, incredibly gifted, uh, but you know john williams also has that piece that uh sets him apart from a lot of other composers that are also com- incredibly gifted in the uh in the craftsmanship of the thing but uh what he has and this guy have that i think a lot of other composers don't is this uh uh i don't know this very uh intuitive understanding of human emotion and how to create music that really uh, accurately describes the moment, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that's, uh, uh, you know, an incredible talent to have and, uh, definitely is something that I look for in the composers that I want to work with in the future and such. Cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> where, where do you want to go with all this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, I away. guess,
0: I have a, I guess I have another path for us to go on. Um, one thing I would say sort of to sum up my, how I feel about the Queen's Gambit is, it, you know, to go on what you were saying earlier is I do sort of feel like it has, it, it, it is sort of like classically romantic in that and it's almost a similar sense that something like Whiplashes is in the sense of that struggle, you yeah. know, there's adventure and that struggle and, And you can't help but watch it and, you know, it's, it's almost a fantasy. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. you would love to be a part of it yourself or even attain something, the experience, you know, attain the experience of that even to some degree. Right. Um, But they make, I I mean, that's so great because that just captures the audience because everyone feels that, you know, and and I like that they make real the pressures
1: that uh, these kind of people are put under too, where uh, it's, it's like an extremely stressful environment to be a part of, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, towards the beginning, like everybody around her is her enemy, you know, and even, even the the kind of friends you make, they're people that you like play on and, you know, and compete against. And so it's almost like you can't really be friends. And like you said earlier, like the Russians are the complete opposite where, you know, these their competition is their family because the real competition is outside of Russia. Yeah. Right. And like, I think that's, that's another thing that was kind of put forth in this where the, the Americans really bonded together around her, you know, Mm -hmm. and did create a uh, family of sorts, you know, um, Honestly, that was, that was a very, that was an extremely heartwarming moment when, uh, they got the news that she won. Yeah. You know, at the the end there. And, uh, no, I I just love, um, I love films that can get to that, to kind of like those heights of, um, just like warmth and humanity, um, without, without lying to us about how you get them. Yeah. You know, feel
0: good, you know? right right. life is life is great
1: right but you know starting from starting from the dark depths of the world you know starting from a mother who would commit murder suicide with her daughter yeah you know being able to get to that point is uh, like i don't know it's it's that is truly beautiful in my opinion you know
0: that is Um, uh even to think another thing i can say is the set design was fantastic. I oh, also gotta yeah. say that last episode, when how they, they Russia, portrayed yeah. Russia, yeah, especially the 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 arena, the, yeah. that they were playing in. I guess you could call it a conference room almost. But it, there was such it was such a cool set design that really was, yeah, it was dreamlike but real enough at the same time.
1: Right. I actually um, saw um I saw someone watching this. A while ago and i was wondering what it was and i asked them what it was and they were like oh queen it's a new netflix show queen's gambit right and yeah. um like it, w- it was that scene right okay and i i thought just from a first glance listening to the music the cinematography seeing that set design i was like oh it's science fiction yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I, w- I was really uh it, w- it was just it was very cool uh uh place right it, it very it very much represented how they viewed uh the sport
0: yeah i mean it it goes back to the the romantic aspect of it is like it's an, an evocative show like yeah visually acting wise but like even when she's in paris drinking at the bar i mean it it's like man you know it 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 gets into that thing in every person that's like man i want to have that experience i want to go yeah. drink at a <laughs> fancy bar in the hotel speaking of that paris, scene by the way
1: know? i think i i think that Cleo is tied for uh, the most evil person in the show, uh, p- probably with her uh, adopt- adopted uh, father. Yeah. You know, um, but man, like I I think that they did such a good job writing that character um, mm. where that's not usually the type of evil that you'd think about. But, you know, these these people that very benign evil. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of. Uh it's it's evil in the same way that uh Daisy is in the Great Gatsby. Right. Sure. Um but uh it's not the same type of evil, but you know, benign in the same way where yeah. it's not like active in your face, but it's there and it's very real. And I think that like there are people like that in the world that kind of like almost uh want people to choose them over these extremely important things. Yeah. You know, and like they almost guilt them into um taking part in you know, like she she was sitting in the bar being like, Oh, well I'm gonna be here if you know, I guess I'm going to drink alone or whatever. And she's trying to make her feel bad, right? And like she yeah. says that she like who knows where she'll be the next day. She's cr- like turning herself into this like uh this like unattainable uh thing, right? And what she wants is for um, she wants this extremely important chess game to be uh, you know where all these reporters are there you know people have flown from all across the world to see it she wants that to be second to her yeah and, i mean this
0: is expressed her about her like you said in the writing i mean when you initially yeah. meet her she was about to kill herself until of course right. she found these chess geniuses and you know tried to become a part of that you know right so and she doesn't even play right it's it's just yeah it,
1: she's uh she's a leech right yeah. and i i love that they were the the writers of the show are like get so perfectly into the minds of so many different types of people you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah no it, it was just uh like, like, I love uh, I love Benny's, uh, well like, paranoia almost, right? He always carries yeah. around the knife with him everywhere he goes, like, just in case. And she, he, like, when she asks, like, for protection from who, you know, like, he's just, like, from anything that could possibly happen,
0: right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about the character flaws being expressed in the game. Right, so, right. Like, like, the little, the Mexican prodigy, you know, the little kid. As well. I'm 99% sure he was Russian, but yeah, no, he's Mexican. <laughs> I bet you 50 bucks. <laughs> You're going to
1: bet me $50. 50 how, about dollars. how about how about dinner? Okay. 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 We'll, we'll bet dinner on it. Um, here, I'll continue on about what you were going to say about him. I'll, I'll
0: check what it was. No, I mean, that's all I had to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. I'll check.
1: Okay. Okay. Good.
0: Um, um,
1: but, uh, what were we just talking about? I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, oh yeah, Cleo. The, um, yeah, the the bad
0: characters. We can also talk yeah. about the father.
1: Yeah. Oh man, what a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I did. I I was worried that you know he was gonna be kind of this like uh, very stereotypical like fifties um, man like how terrible they are character, but you know, he was actually very selfish. And like, even earlier on, you could tell like, you know, he wasn't good with money. You know, he, uh, he was very kind of like, uh, didn't give the things around him much thought, including his wife. Right. Um, she was unhappy to be with him. And honestly, like when he left, she, and then she like really made her purpose. Like, I'm going to be a good mother to this girl. Uh, she became like way more happy, right? Yeah, um, I agree. And I, I did like that they were able to show parts of people that weren't um, necessarily good, right? Like you see, you see the greed in the mother's eyes when she first learns that she can make money off of her do- daughter's not uh, chess talents, right? But that doesn't mm-hmm. define her as a character, right? Like, she's a little more complex than just being evil because she's a little greedy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, because there um, was definitely a moment where her stepmother could have been evil as well. Like, you were trying yeah. to figure it out. But I, I, she she became good. Yeah,
1: I was honestly waiting for that moment with a lot of characters, and I was glad that they never really came, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like they they didn't follow through with the stereotypical way to portray this, the fifties. Like I, I totally thought that they were going to pull a whole Prince charming thing with uh, towns at the end, you know, before they revealed that, you know, like, I mean, I mean, obviously they revealed that he was gay earlier. Right. But yeah, um, that was an interesting scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, uh, you know, the way that uh, he comes in at the end and he's, you know, they, they don't draw a lot of attention to it. They're not trying to, like, virtue signal that they have this character in their show, right? Um, yeah. But I I was worried that they were either going to do that or they were going to turn him into, like, the whole Prince Charming character, which I was glad that they didn't do either. You know, they really just focused on her. Um, and that's, that's what I really love about this show, I think, is that the story takes precedence over everything, right? And, like, the writer isn't here to, like tell us about his like sociopolitical outlook right like sure. he's here to tell a story about this uh troubled genius right who honestly is saved from her downfall by her friends and around her who become her family you know yeah um it was cool it was cool uh have you found if you found out whether the kid was uh Mexican, well I had the Russian actor, property. but it doesn't it
0: doesn't say what the nationality nationality of the character was. Here, let so. me just uh,
1: Well does he have a character name?
0: Uh yes. Fuck, where was it? Um uh, I think it was Manuel. Let me see. Was no, it? it might not have been Manuel uh No, that,
1: that was that was the lady that her mom was or that was the guy that her mom was dating while she was in Mexico.
0: Fuck. I lost it then. Um let me see, can I see Garev, that might be that might be good for you. It says Garev, but I'm almost positive this guy was Mexican. Um, <laughs> um, he had a, he had he did not have a Russian accent, is the thing, even uh, in the slightest. I thought he was like speaking Russian at a certain point, though. No, it was uh, it, it was Mexican. It, it, uh, maybe it's because everyone else was speaking Mexican because it was Mexico City Spanish, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Speaking <laughs> I'm American. I speak American here. Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I vacationed in Mexico a lot as a young kid. And I used to say all the time. I was like, I can't understand the Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. Uh, let's see. I'm actually just going to pull up the show because why the hell not? Let's get yeah. this decided for the audience. Um, Queen's Gambit. All right. So. Yep. That's episode four, everyone. That's what we're doing. <laughs> also, you know, those two guys that initially uh, checked her into her first championship in Kentucky and were like, yeah, you're, you're not prepared for this. You don't have a rating. One of them looks like an ugly Joseph Gordon. levitt Did you ever, did you see that? Because whenever <laughs> I looked at him, no, I was I like, that's that Joseph all. Gordon. levitt But ugly. I, I loved their uh,
1: characters, by the way. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. Um, But here, let me just type in Garev Queens Gambit. Okay, just so you know, I did type, I typed in um, Garev Spanish on Google and it literally linked Russian sites. And then I typed in Garev Russian and it is a Russian surname. Oh, shit, you're probably right.
0: All right then. Yeah, Russian. Fuck. (laughs) Uh, All right. Oh, well. Yeah. You know what? It's, I it's pay fun. for the podcast hosting, so you're not getting dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but, um, but, yeah, that's why I didn't want to do 50 bucks. I was like, I don't want to pull 50 bucks from <laughs> Greg right
0: now. <laughs> uh, Fuck me. All but, right. Um, well, I think we're sort of getting towards the end here then if we're starting making bets and we're having a sure, sure. of silence. So you got anything you want to end it on?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, actually, do you want to talk about uh, like kind of the future of Netflix? films because i don't know this one did pretty well um that's another i'd say honestly it's another score for netflix i don't know how well it did in uh terms of views and stuff but uh, yeah
0: it's too bad we can't ever know that yeah
1: um but honestly I, I would say this was a great uh a great showing for them and um as a
0: production company you know um i agree my main thing with netflix is that they make content at I'm calling it content. I guess I should say they make cinema. Yeah, at such scale that you know, yeah, they have a lot of bad stuff as well. You know what I mean? It's not for sure. Yeah, you know they do the the focus group stuff as well as the you know let's make something good stuff as well. Right, um, and
1: maybe it's maybe it is just uh, maybe they're just shooting in in they <laughs> shooting at the, by the hip right, and then they're shooting into the darkness and hoping they hit something um yeah but uh my hope is that it's a trend towards you know them becoming a little more along the lines of like uh the producers at HBO that like understand what makes something good
0: you know yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens because you know the guy who ran HBO was ousted recently was he um yeah because he refused to make uh cinema at that scale uh he wanted to continue to do the smaller amount of shows and make them good and they were you know the people in charge of warner brothers whatever Mm -hmm. company they're all owned by yeah um they were like no we want you guys to compete with netflix that disturbs me a
1: little bit i mean i get the whole hbo max thing but i don't mm -hmm. know i i think i think that was honestly the selling point of hbo was that you know their focus was on quality Mm -hmm. you know i don't know so what do you mean he was ousted? Is he like out of
0: the company or is he just not running it anymore? I th- something like that. It's either he has less authority or he he's gone. Um, so. Yeah. Well, if he's
1: gone, we should figure out uh, where he went and go. see If he's <laughs> looking for uh, people that would want to work with them. But uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Honestly, that that's I think that's what ends up happening when people like that get ousted is that the people that appreciate that eye for talent, uh, tend to follow wherever they go, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm sure that even if it's not under the brand of HBO, uh, you know, they will continue to make stuff. Uh, Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah. uh, Here's the hoping that Netflix is, uh, you know, moving in the HBO direction while maybe HBO is trying to become the new Netflix.
0: Um, but yeah maybe they can meet in the middle somewhere you know a nice meeting. yeah yeah um but
2: i, I think it's know. it's going to be
0: what it's usually always been frankly i've always been a fan of the idea that the amount of cinema or storytelling or art whatever you want to say is is getting more there's more and more of it it's so much but i always think the percentage stays the same the percentage of you know the dog shit, the bad, the yeah, average, for sure. the pretty good, the amazing. It stays the same. So as long as that doesn't start shrinking. Sure. That's, well, that would be when I get worried. But I don't well, think, I, it I is. think there's also there the are better of, years than others. But. I
1: think there's also the matter of where the money's going too. You know? That's true. Because while the percentage might be the same, you know, the money tends to be focused in different areas. Um, and it's nice when you know you have a company that like HBO that really pushes the money into the quality stuff. I agree. You know that is definitely an issue. But yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows what the future will hold? Um, but I don't know. I I, I actually enjoyed doing a, a mini series. I I don't think we should do like shows or anything, just because you know that would be way too long. But yeah, you know, mean, unless like we've already like, seen it, and sure, we could sure, talk definitely. It, right? Um, but. Yeah, no, I I kind of enjoyed watching a little mini series and being able to talk about it. I think it was a little more uh, general um, just because, you know, there was a lot more to cover. Um,
0: But yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I think that will cover it then. Um, We'll have links to the show and the music below. Um, We also have links to our social media accounts, ways for you to subscribe to the podcast below. And I think that covers it. So we don't know what we're going to be doing next week, um, but we will have another episode for you soon. Sound good, Nick?
1: Yeah, maybe we can post it on uh, whatever social media we have if we no. if we figure it out by
0: then. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Um. So yeah, look for us down there. And uh, here's uh, I'm sure we'll have found some sort of interview for you guys to listen to right now. So enjoy that, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. See you.
2: The movies from the early 60s into the mid 70s were the movies that changed my life. Dog Day Afternoon made me want to write scripts, hand down. It was probably a combination of Harold and Maude and Dog Day Afternoon, those two movies. I freeze! Nobody move! Get over there! I felt the audience involved in a way that I'd, I'd just never seen. They were so into the movie. They were so, so involved with the characters in the movie. They weren't just watching it. They weren't, they were really, they were really invested in everybody. They were emotionally involved. I don't even know how to describe it. I just felt different. I was, I was you know, 13 or 14 when I saw those movies and completely changed everything for me. <laughs> to me, this is the perfect opening scene to a perfect movie, written during the 13 year time span when most or all of my favorite movies were written, 1962 to about 1975. Most important of all, this was the movie that made me want to write movies. I was 14 years old the year it came out. It was R-rated, which meant that I had to have my mom buy me a ticket, and then I had to sneak into the theater to watch it. <laughs> Most importantly for our purposes, this is one of the ballsiest scripts ever written. It's a movie that starts out as a movie about a couple of hapless bank robbers, and evolves into a movie that, uh, that becomes about, among other things, how love drives us all insane. There is no score. No music at all beyond the Elton John song over the opening credits. It's all about the words. And in five minutes, you fall in love with these words and with everyone you see. The beginning of a movie automatically excites me. I don't watch a movie for the first time if I've missed the opening. And unless you're at a Hollywood premiere, the opening scene is the only part of the movie you watch full of nothing but good faith. Um, I have no idea how to write them. They take me forever and I can't, I can't move forward until I've written my opening scene. I spend more time on the opening than any scene in the script by far. I'll take notes, I'll do research, do anything other than actually start writing because I need to know exactly what it is I'm going to be fading in on. I can't begin until I know that. What is that first line of dialogue? Is it over black? I do, I do that a lot. I have someone say something and then fade in. I don't know why, I just started doing that. and It's a way to trick myself that I've done something good. First time I adapted a novel, it was on um, on Get Shorty. I learned very quickly that if you take a book you love and just try and put it through the movie machine, just try and turn it into a movie, it becomes a very trivialized version of the book. You end up with something that doesn't work either as a book or as a movie. It's just sort of its own silly thing. Because you haven't made choices. You haven't made hard choices. And the only way I can make choices is to really write it for myself. What is it about for me? Sometimes it's something thematic, you know? Um, you, you, you latch on to this thematic idea and then you call everything that doesn't speak to it when you're adapting. There are all sorts of ways. But the real trick is, is really making it mean something to yourself as opposed to simply refashioning it as a movie. Once upon a time back when I knew everything, I would have generously called myself a writer's writer. But now, in reality, I know that I'm really just a very lucky guy who happened to accept a lot of writing jobs. And this is something we should probably talk about. Why we write what we write. How is it that frequently the things we think are going to be meaningful, that are going to win awards, and become significant in the cinematic pantheon, turn out so shitty? (laughs) Meanwhile, the things we do just because they were handy or we simply needed the money turn out to be the thing that changes our lives. I rode out of sight because I had three kids living in the same bedroom and I needed a bigger house. And that was the job that was dangled in front of me. I had no aspiration beyond the desire to have my own bathroom. I'd never thought about that when I was young. I never thought about how do you have a family and how do you have a career and how do you keep them both? I mean, that's a challenge. so I think Um, that was a big part of it and a lot of jobs I took were jobs because I had my family and this was a job that I could get and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do this. And some of those turned out to be great experiences. But your decision-making matrix just starts to change as you go along. Out of Sight remains, for me, my favorite and the single most satisfying experience I've had in 28 years of writing screenplays. I was even nominated for an Oscar. I say this not to ham-handedly drop in the fact that I was nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) After all, you've had several actual winners up here before. No, I mention it only because why you do something doesn't necessarily matter. How you do it is everything. Maybe the only thing, at least I tell myself that.